When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of these comparisons compare, for instance, women to men. If a woman is angry, will she be penalized more or seen differently than if a man gets angry? That's, I think, an interesting finding, but not particularly relevant. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Do women have to act like men at work to get ahead? Many women are told they need to act like white male leaders if they wish to get promoted into senior roles. But when they do that, it backfires on them. Instead of being seen as a leader and rewarded, they're penalized. It's darned if you do, doomed if you don't. How does one navigate these so-called double binds? Maybe, however, that's not even the right question or the way to look at the issue, says Stanford professor Jeffrey Pfeffer, a world expert on power in organizations. In a previous episode, Jeff and I spoke about the contrarian themes raised in his latest bestseller, The Seven Rules of Power. Today, however, I wanted to explore topics that are not covered in much depth in his book. Topics like managing double binds, how we prevent the worst excesses of power, And I even got personal asking him what's most shaped his unique views over the past 40 years. So buckle up for our conversation because Jeff challenges much of what you've been told. Jeff, welcome again to 97% Effective. Thank you very much. To go into the topic of of double binds. So there's been a lot written, researched, discussed um, on this area. And and to be perfectly honest, when I, I started to coach around power dynamics, I was I was frankly surprised, in retrospect, I shouldn't have been, that I got and I helped a lot of clients, about 70% of my practice are women and minorities who who benefited a lot from really understanding power, navigating it. And so when I first had that, not having shared their lived experience, I wanted to read the evidence, right? What does the research say 
about the challenges they may face navigating workplace. And this concept of double binds, which I'll just, you know, it's this darned if you do, darned if you don't, maybe a simple example here for listeners. If anger can show power or strength, if a woman does it, it may be penalized because of certain societal norms and she's therefore penalized. So lots of people have explored different ways to kind of thread this needle. Um, how do you still show up powerfully, um, but don't get penalized for it or even take a stereotyped female trait or other trait and turn it around. In the book, Seven Rules, you address double binds briefly. You don't deny them, but you basically say people don't have much choice. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, uh, darned if you don't and, you know, you need to take a shot <laughs> and do it. Comments here about double binds? Uh, I think I think there are two problems with the existing research literature. One, I tried to address in an article with Peter Velme, which you know, I should probably do a second study on that. But in any event, um, in many of the studies that deal with the double bind look at person perception, but they look at person perception free of any context in which your, what we call reward interdependence, where your, your rewards depend upon the behavior of the other person. So yes, if you say to me, unconstrained, would you rather have people conform to gender, race-based, or social class-based um, expectations? The answer to that is almost certainly going to be yes. I would prefer that, and I will like them better. But the problem is that the, their behaviors and your outcomes have no connection to each other. So then if you change the question and say, you know, your outcomes are going to depend upon what they do, it turns out that your level of interest in them being, in quotes, nice as opposed to competent goes down. So that's, I think, one thing. I think the second thing is that many of these comparisons compare, for instance, women to men. If a woman is angry, will she be penalized more or seen differently than if a man gets angry? That's, I think, an interesting finding, but not particularly relevant. Unless a woman is going to undergo gender transformation, she is going to remain a woman. So the question relevant is not, is the woman going to suffer compared to the man, but is anger in, on, on, is exhibited by a woman a more effective behavior than the opposite exhibited by a woman? So I think the intergender comparisons is, are useless because unless you're going to change your gender, the, 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 the relevant comparison is not how you're going to do compared to a man, but the relevant comparison is how are you going to do if you do a different set of behaviors? And there I think the answer is very. If you look at the women who have succeeded, the Carly Fiorinas, who was CEO of Hewlett-Packard, the Meg Whitman, who was CEO of eBay and now CEO of one of the HP spinoffs. You look at, um, you know, Hillary Clinton uh, for the level of her success. You look at many of the senators like Diane Feinstein or Amy Klobuchar. Uh, you look at uh, Angela Merkel. You look at many of the political leaders, or for that matter, the women who are leading. Um, there, you look at my friend Laura Esterman, who I spend a lot of time on in the book. Um, they, I don't think, ever think of themselves very much as being constrained by gender role expectations. They do what they need to do, and I think they're successful because of that. That's fascinating, and I would like to see research like that as well, because most of the research is this comparison to, you know, of all across all the groups uh, with predominantly white white men. Uh, so those comparisons, I think, would be fascinating. 
So this topic and one of the rules of kind of show up uh, powerfully, this idea of confidence and exhibiting it, a kind of corollary, you, you cite research here that looks at competence, how they're often conflated, and how this is critical to building power. Is, is this as simple, Jeff, as projecting and acting? Uh, essentially kind of this fake it until you become it? Um, and by the way, I like the way you phrase that. It's not fake it till you make it. It's fake it until you become it. Um, you know, you nobody started off being a tennis player or an ice skater or a piano player or, you know, a concert pianist or, a, you know, for that matter, an executive coach. Uh, you, you, you learn by doing and, and you become by doing and you build your skills by doing and you build your skills by doing in the presence of excellent coaching. So if you... You know, look at the movie King Richard, which is, you know, basically the Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams, and, and what he does to develop his daughters. The daughters aren't born great tennis players, but he gets them, first of all, they practice, and secondly, he gets them excellent coaching. And I think this is exactly, you know, I mean, there's some idea, I don't know where we got this idea that people are fixed at some point in time. Um, I think that's inconsistent with Carol Dweck's work on, you know, fixed versus uh, growth mindsets. I think it's inconsistent with the empirical reality that people do build skills and competencies over time uh, with both practice and coaching. So my recommendation is to get practice and get coaching. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. To take us in another direction, the, the research here shows a lot about kind of the disinhibiting effects of power. Uh, the more powerful you become, you can become arrogant, out of touch, surround yourself by yes people, believe you kind of walk on water, and that you can get away with things. This goes to rule, rule number seven. And, and so... One of the questions, you know, if we are trying to get better, again, I will use this word loosely here because we need to define that better, but leaders who want to improve and make organizations for the better, those who follow, let's say, the rules, how do they kind of monitor themselves so they avoid this trap that they've gone in with the best of intentions, they want to do certain things? How do they you know, not become necessarily the toxic or narcissist leaders that they, they so despise who run organizations into the ground? Are there some practical things that people should do as they ascend to the leadership level? Well, they ought to get honest feedback, which of course, as you rise, you never do because everybody is telling you what they think you want to hear. That would be one recommendation. But I think Machiavelli here has an extraordinarily important uh, insight, which I think people forget which is if you're going to follow the Stanford Business School's motto of change lives, change organizations, and change the world, the first thing you need to do is be in a position of power. So the leader's first responsibility is to keep their damn job. Because once you're out of your job, you're not going to, not only are you not going to be very doing well for yourself or your family, uh, but you're not going to be very effective in getting things done once you, once you lose your position. So before we worry about what kind of a leader are you and are you this or are you that? People need to worry about making sure that they keep their position because once you're out of a job, your ability to get stuff done is going to go way, way down. So, so is a, a critical piece then here, 
I, I think it also gets kind of presented a lot that, oh, you know, you don't need position to have power. But the fact of the matter is when you do have certain positions, you can write rules, you control resources, you have veto rights, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. But is this to say that really a lot of power is generated kind of positionally? That's correct. And I think people overworry again. I think the question that you asked really reflects people's concern about how other people are perceiving them or how they perceive themselves. And they and I think, you know, perceptions of yourself and how other people perceive you are not unimportant. But in the context of your job as a leader, they are comparatively unimportant because your first responsibility as a leader is to make things happen. You know, it's, it's to get things done, is to lead your organization um, so that it becomes successful. And what you do in the process and how people perceive you, you know, Gary Loveman has, as we've already alluded to, this famous line, if you want to be like get a dog, a dog will love you unconditionally. And the, if you seek in senior management positions uh, to be liked by everybody, I think his phrase is you're going to be in for a tough ride, which you will be. So, you know, I think, I think people are too concerned with what others feel or think about them and too little concern with what they're actually accomplishing. And you need to look only at Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and a bunch of other people and Steve Jobs. None of them are going to win the, you know, Mother Teresa Award. But at the end, a lot of forgiveness is, is given to them uh, because of their uh, effectiveness in building businesses that were successful. Absolutely correct. And, and a great illustration there. To, to zoom out from your, your book, Jeff, because uh, you have been researching, writing, working with people on power uh, for decades. And I love this expression. I believe it was when in one of your previous books here, maybe in the knowing doing gap of, you know, having strong opinions loosely held, which calls for to this point of, you know, evidence-based management, yep. paying attention to the evidence and acting in accordance if it presents compelling enough information to shift your thinking. And so I'm, I'm curious, and I'd love to hear, because you know, over these, these decades that you have researched power, were there any moments as, as you went into research, you went in with certain assumptions, you, you, know, you read things or you did the research yourself, where you shifted some of how you thought about power in the face of new evidence? I, th I think so. I think the answer to that is yes, though my, having to recall that may not be the easiest thing for me to do, but I think the simplest or most profound example is this issue of likability. Uh, as you know, Robert Cialdini, who has endorsed this book and endorsed my previous book and is a very, very dear friend, uh, talks about liking as a very important basis of interpersonal influence. And at one point I thought liking was more important than I've come to believe it is. Um, or being liked is more important than, than I've come to believe it is. I, I think, you know, I think people will make excuses. You know, if you're an effective baseball or soccer player, um, if you're an effective uh, person in building a business, um, people will cut you much more slack in terms of how likable you are and your personality and your disposition and your interpersonal skills. Um, so to me, I think the big uh, thing has been that on the warmth versus competence dimension, competence counts for more. And actually, Chiodini once said to me, um, you know, prove competence first. And then the people will say, wow, considering how effective you are, you're such a nice person. Uh, but if you don't 
uh, prove the competence first, you're going to be in trouble. So it's really about being effective, getting the job done. And I think Correct. you did some research around there that showed people will will largely put up with that or... That's correct. I mean, if you, if you go to a surgeon, you know, it's nice if the surgeon has a nice personality, uh, you know, but I mean, I read these reviews, at least in the U.S. on Yelp, about a guy who's done two back surgeries on me and they talk about his office furniture and the niceness of his staff. I may go do microsurgery on my spine. I really don't care about your office furniture. I don't care if your front desk person is smiling and has a great personality. I don't really even care about your personality. I care mostly about your technical skills. Now it's nice if you're also nice, but I mean, you know, we need, we, we need to prioritize what we're actually we're selecting for. So, your book is out. I've recommended it to lots of people. It is a fantastic read that we have started to, you know, explore here, but lots of examples, cites, and brings together a lot of the evidence. I, I would ask you, you know, outside, you, you f follow, you read copious amounts of the research out there. Outside of your own work on power and influence, who else should we be reading or whose work should we be following today to, to better understand and embrace power, in your opinion? Well, I think Robert Cialdini's book on influence, which he has a new edition of, which actually got longer rather than shorter, is good. And he also wrote a book called Presuasion, mm -hmm. which talks about how if you want to influence people, you need to set the table, if you will, or the context uh, so that they become more persuadable. persuadable. And so I think Persuasion is actually a fabulous book. I think his new edition of Influence is a fantastic book. So I'm a big fan of uh, Robert uh, Cialdini's work. Yes, his book on influence has, has absolutely stood the test of time. And and I wanted to ask you too. You know, the, the social sciences, you know, have have undergone a kind of replication crisis. And I think it's fantastic that you recommend a lot of people avail themselves to the, the social science literature using you know, Google Scholar, et cetera. What has been the impact of the replication crisis? Has that been overblown? Is there some other one or two things that lay people out there when they're looking at a study ought to be wary of? <laughs> the N is small or what comments do you have kind of on the, the replication crisis? Well, I think there is a crisis of replication, but the way you solve the replication crisis is by replicating. So when you find a finding that has been found numerous times, maybe even using different methods or different, you know, uh, ideas done by different authors, you're probably uh, in better shape or you're more justified in believing it that if it's been found once. If it's been found once, it may not hold up. If it's been found numerous times, it probably does. So, Jeff, I very much appreciate your time and spending it with me and the audience here today. Again, Jeff Pfeffer's latest book, The Seven Rules of Power, Surprising but True Advice on How to Get Things Done and Advance Your Career. Jeff, thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, 
get promoted on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.